If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. You know, it's already April and it feels like it's middle of January still. I know a lot of places out west. And man, this winter will just not end. But I think that the one thing I can look forward to is hoping that maybe some spring weather, maybe some summer weather will actually get here and then roll back into the fall season. It's going to be, I feel like it's been winter from where I've been for since October 21st. <laughs> like it's been snowing ever since that day. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this hunting season. And I think that if you enjoyed last week, we talked about backcountry stuff. This week, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. You know, while loading up backpack and heading into the backcountry can be a lot of fun, it's also a challenging and productive way to hunt. The majority of the hunting success probably comes from what I refer to as front country hunting. So this is day hunt style hunting where you're able to drive to a base camp and then head out from there. You know, front country has its advantages because it allows you to be mobile and check more spots if the game animals just aren't where you thought they'd be. It also allows you to hike in each day a little bit lighter, possibly covering more ground or having more room and energy to tote around, say, something like optics or heavy optics like your spotting scope. Also, it leaves a lot more room for the pack out. This style of hunting is really what most hunters are familiar with, and if done right, it definitely has its advantage. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at front country hunting strategy from gear and camp setups to locating productive spots and how to approach a hunt like this. This week, we're going to first look at what front country is and some advantages it provides. But before we do that, I want to share the story of one of the first outfits I worked for and how we started to transition our hunting strategies. So when I first started guiding elk hunts in Montana, this was actually, this is going to date me a little bit, it was 20 years ago. It doesn't seem like that, but I can't believe that I've actually been guiding for 20 years now. 
I feel like I'm barely that old, but I did start when I was pretty young. So when I first started guiding this place that I, I hunted a lot, we didn't see wolves. Like they just weren't there. Or at least when I was growing up, they weren't there. And then about when I started guiding, it, it kind of transitioned. We started seeing more wolves and the, the populations soon rapidly increased. Like it went from not seeing wolves to seeing multiple wolves a week. And this was before there was a wolf season. There was, uh, you know, no opportunity to hunt them. They weren't being managed. And they were just going into these areas where they hadn't been for a very long time and taking over. I mean, and they really did. I mean, I remember one specific trip where I heard wolves howling. I howled back and started counting 13 of them around me. And so when you think about, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that have their varying opinions. And, and I'm of the opinion, like when you introduce something like that into an habitat that isn't really used to it, it, it severely affects it really fairly quickly. Now, the outfitter that I worked for at the time, he did a lot of, like most outfitters, a backcountry backcountry type hunts, wilderness hunts, where it was like you packed in on horses, you'd go up in the canyon, you'd be dropped off for, you know, you're up there for five or seven days, however long. And, and those were the type of hunts that he did. And then now what ended up happening was, so you, you kind of combine a couple things. So you got those canyons where you pack into, your camp is in one spot and you're there hunting for the week and then another group comes in and, and whatever. He'd run hunts like that long before I ever got there. But, you know, you combine that with wolves now moving in and maybe the elk moving out or getting displaced or maybe fewer elk, maybe just using different habits. And you kind of run into the situation where you'd be in these pristine wilderness areas in the backcountry and nobody was killing any elk, right? And it's not to say that uh, the backcountry is a bad place to hunt and whatever. It's just for these type of camps and the setup that was going on, it kind of started to not work anymore. And the success really plummeted in a lot of, a lot of these type of hunts. And I, I, you can attribute it to a lot of different things, right? I, I personally feel like the wolves played a, a large part of that as well. But the outfitter that I worked for had, when I kind of came on, had started transitioning from those backcountry hunts to more day hunt type stuff. So he, we'd stay at a, like a bed and breakfast kind of thing and just go out from there. So he was still simultaneously running the, I guess we'll call them day hunts. It was like week long trips, but we were more mobile, you know, kind of hunting more around a road system, hiking in every day. And sometimes we would go in those same canyons where the backcountry camps were or whatever, but for the most part, we were a lot more mobile. And then he still also at that time simultaneously ran backcountry horse pack trips and stuff like that. And so I kind of spearheaded the, uh, we'll call it like the day hunt kind of stuff. And the thing about it was we found, well, it was a style that, you know, most people hunt anyways, but we found that if the elk weren't where they were, we weren't tied to one area. So we could, we could actually continually bounce around and find the elk. So one day we might be hunting this particular range and the next day we could drive 20 miles if we wanted to go hunt a completely different set of elk in a completely different area and a completely different drainage, or we can move around and figure out where the elk were because now we're encountering elk that were encountering a lot of hunting pressure from wolves that they just didn't get you know, frankly, before this time period, uh, there wasn't a lot of off season hunting. It was hunting season. And then that was it. There was mountain lions and bears, but 
the primary thing that was chasing elk was human hunters during a set season. Now they're getting hunted by wolves. And so it's changing their habits a lot and changing what they did quite often. So now we decided we're, we're switching our tactics and we're going from doing a lot of backcountry trips to doing more of these day trips or week-long trips where we'd hike in every day and then, and then bounce around. And because of that, we just saw this huge increase in our success rates. And while he was still running those backcountry camps, the guys in the backcountry camp had near 0% success rate. And it's not that the, the elk weren't there. It's just that they'd kind of been displaced. And by the time you spent all the energy to get into where they were and this, that, and the other thing, if the elk aren't there, you couldn't move. You were hunting there for the week. And that's what it was, whether it was wolf pressure, whether it was other hunter pressure, whatever it was, those camps weren't being very successful. And by being mobile and just adapting to the situation, we still found a lot of success. And, and when I first started guiding, it was, uh, you know, it was general areas you could hunt elk and deer. And we still had really high, I mean, even with the wolves, we still had a really high populations of elk and deer at this point. And, you know, I'd, I'd be guiding and we would take two elk and two deer a week for 10 weeks throughout the season. And, you know, and it was because I was able to go to the different places where they were and change my location seasonally based on the elk movement, based on weather, based on hunting pressure, based on so many other things. And that was really possible because we were based in a place where we were fairly mobile, where we could day hunt and change our plan each day, each night. We could keep hunting the same canyon drainage, whatever, for five days, or we could pack up and go somewhere else the next day. And it didn't really matter because we could go where the elk were. And by doing that, I really saw the value in kind of the, the mentality of being flexible, adjusting your plan and and really learning how to utilize the type of hunting that we were doing which i like to call i just kind of call it front country hunting because if you've got if the back country is all the wilderness packed in stuff then what's everything else and there's a lot of land and a lot of area and i would say the majority of hunting is in that front country that day hunting type stuff where you're hunting for the day and then you come back to a base camp and then you hunt out of there and what I did find when we started doing this was our success did increase. This isn't to write off backcountry hunting because there's a, a place for it. There's, it's a challenge. It's a lot of fun and can be some of the more productive hunting as well, depending on where you're at. But it's also not to write off all the other stuff because we did find a lot of success in this style of, of hunting, being able to adjust our plans and being super flexible that way. And by doing that, we found a lot of success, learned a lot about elk and learned a lot about uh, the best way to hunt these animals where we were at. The other thing that we did notice, I did notice was we ended up covering a lot more country, not on, not in a vehicle, but just on foot. When you're packed in, you'd, you'd hunt these big basins and you're kind of limited at how far you could range. When we were hiking in, we were a little bit lighter. Uh, we, were, we were just day tripping. We would hike in a long ways. And sometimes we even hiked to fairly close where the camps were, but we would hunt our way in and our way out. And we just found that over the years, doing it that way became a really successful way to hunt. So I think first and foremost, we should kind of identify what I'm considering front country hunting. And I, and I don't want you to confuse front country hunting with road hunting, where you're just driving around looking for animals because the area might be accessed by a road, but the most productive hunting is going to be on foot. And I really find there's a lot of reasons for uh, hunting on foot being a lot more productive. The first is if you're frequently hiking and 
then you're out there hunting hard. You're out there looking. You're, it's easy to stop in glass. It's easy to sense things that are around you. It's easy to sneak over to a basin. You're putting yourself in a position where animals are and maybe a little less undisturbed. But we're using probably, or you're probably using a road system to access trailheads, access points. Maybe it's even as far as a gated logging road that may or may not allow vehicular traffic. Sometimes there's seasonally, like a lot of places you'll hunt, maybe you can drive a four-wheeler on it during September season, but it's hiking during October, November, December to protect, you know, elk calving areas or whatever, or migration areas or something like that. Not necessarily calving areas those time of year, but uh, migration areas or whatever. But even some of those areas where it's you can drive a, a four-wheeler on it or a quad trail or something and, and instead choosing to hike it or walk because you're, you're putting yourself in that hunting situation where you're most apt to spot the animals, where you're most apt to not spook them, and where you're most apt to be able to make a play and really just kind of do what you need to do while out hunting. So the front country is kind of anything that I'm considering that you access from – within that day and then come back to your vehicle that night. So you aren't overnighting, it's it's day hunting is another way to phrase it. It's the stuff that I would say is kind of oftentimes between the wilderness boundaries, but not always. There's so many times now we're all hike into a wilderness area and, and hike back out that same day and, and get the kind of hunt that I need and then have access to move somewhere else. So it, it's just really more along the lines of having access to other places. And that's what I'm considering the front country. So it might be something along property boundaries, agricultural lines, but it could be as remote as anything or anywhere in the United States, but you can just access it differently from a vehicle. So that's how we're kind of classifying front country hunting, or you'll hear the term a lot, day hunting. So we're just going out for the day and then coming back. And there's a lot of advantages to that type of hunting. And I would say that it is the probably the primary type of hunting that most hunters will embark on this season. And also, I mean, if we're going to be realistic, it's probably the way that the majority of large, if we're I'm using air quotes here, trophy animals are taken. Some of the best animals every year aren't necessarily killed way back in the wilderness. They're probably, it's a kind of a factor of a few things, right? The first factor being that more people are hunting areas that aren't like that, where they aren't packed in. Uh, so obviously there's the potential for more big animals being taken somewhere else. But the other thing is, you know, you're more mobile and you have a lot of opportunity to cover a lot more country. And by covering a lot of country, you're able to take in a lot of different areas and find where the animals are for the season for whatever's going on. So that's one of the major advantages to this style of hunting. By being able to access a potentially larger hunting area, you really lend your, your hunting skills or your, your, sorry, your, you really lend the hunt to being able to cover a wide range of places that animals could potentially be hiding. And also, it has a couple other advantages. So you have one more access to more areas. And I think that that's probably the most important factor of it. The other thing is, you know, you can set up a fairly comfortable camp. Uh, you're, you're bringing your vehicle in, so it's a little bit logistically less planning. It's a lot easier for people to get into, and it's a lot easier to say, like, you don't necessarily need 
so many lightweight things. Like half the time that I'm doing a hunt, I'm probably just sleeping in the back of my truck. I've got a camper shell on it, like a, a topper. And I might just be sleeping in the back of my truck or I've got a tent pitched. I mean, you can bring his, a big wall tent with a stove and all that good stuff. You have a fairly comfortable camp. And if there's multiple people, it makes it really easy for multiple people to camp together, to enjoy the hunt together, but also go out on their own and, and explore new areas or different areas and not necessarily step on everyone's toes. It's kind of hard when you're all, if you got five friends and you all kind of want to be together on a hunt, you're hiking in one trail and you're going to camp in the backcountry in the same place. It's really hard to split up and spread out and then regroup and do all that stuff. But this way you can kind of spread out, you can fan out, you can meet back up at camp if you need help packing or whatever. There's just a lot more access to things that are, uh, make things a little bit easier. Another big, I would say, factor of the front country or day hunting is you can actually move further and faster because you're carrying less necessary gear and more hunting essential gear. Now, last week we talked about backcountry hunts and some of the gear and, and weight balance of things. And there's certain things when you go into the backcountry, you just need to survive. You need a shelter. You need a sleeping bag. You need to carry food and water for the week. And so you either pitch a base camp back there and leave it, or you carry it with you. Either way, it's taking up space in your pack. It's heavy and it's, you know, causing a little bit of physical drain on your body. You can only carry so many calories. You're burning so much by carrying so much. So there's kind of this conundrum where you're like, what's the cost benefit of carrying all this stuff? And then how much am I losing as far as energy consumption? And then can I, and then when I shoot something, how much space do I have to bring it back? When you're day hunting, it's a little bit different because you don't necessarily need all of that stuff. You've got your lunch, your water for the day, and then you you don't you minus the camping gear and all the other stuff, you can then replace some of that weight with hunting essential gear like big optics and a and a good sturdy tripod. Uh, maybe it even might mean bringing a spotting scope and a big pair of binoculars. If you're in an area that's an optics intensive hunt, this is a really good way to go because you can exchange that weight and energy for hunting essential gear, and that might aid you in the success factor. Now, sometimes aiding in the success factor is getting back away from people into those places that you might have, it might take a couple days to get to. And that's where that backcountry hunt plays a large portion of success too. But then sometimes you got to flip the script and say, okay, it's better for me to have a lightweight setup. Maybe you're going to go just, well, actually, to be honest, um, when I'm day hunting, I often go a lot further than I would if I was backcountry hunting. And it's mostly just because of logistics, right? You've just got less weight. You can cover more country. You can move faster. You're carrying more essential hunting gear, but you don't have that, like, you aren't tied to a base camp somewhere. You can kind of go up one drainage, come back down the next, and then pop back down and, and go back to your vehicle at the end of the day. But you can cover a lot of ground because you aren't carrying as much weight. And so I always find that when I'm day hunting, I'm, I'm generally covering a lot more country. And by covering more country, I'm hitting more potential places that I can find what I'm looking for. So let's look at some of the ways to kind of take this idea of day hunting and, and find the areas that are going to help us be successful or, or what about it is going to be different than the average guy going out there. And I think that it's a perfect combination of hunting hard and hunting smart. You have to get away from those crowds, but you also want to be able to move around and, and access different areas and utilize that to your advantage. Maybe it doesn't even mean, I might say like 
access different areas. I might not even be talking about very far the way the crow flies, but you could one day hike up one drainage, right? And then the next day park and hike up a drainage that's, I don't even know, 500 yards down the trail or whatever down the road from where you went the day before, but you're covering a completely new set of country. Or maybe you're in an area and, and you just, you're hunting for three days and you haven't seen what you're looking for. Maybe it's just time to go. There's, I, I mean, I did this on a mule deer hunt quite a few years ago where I had a plan, it all planned out. And I got in there and I didn't see any deer. And then I just decided, okay, I'm just, I, I've got to shake things up. And I just went back to my truck, uh, loaded up, drove, I can't remember, a couple hours to a completely different part of the unit, started hunting there and immediately started getting into deer. It was because I just had that flexibility and mobility to say I was, at the time I was just camping in my vehicle. So wherever, whatever trailhead I ended up at that night, I'd hike back down and sleep there. And then the next day I'd just go somewhere else. And I ended up shaking it up enough where I said, okay, I found a spot where there happened to be a lot of hunters in the place that I first went to. I shook it up. I went somewhere else. I kind of just, I literally just kind of drove around the unit until I found a place where there was hardly any vehicle. There was no vehicles and hiked in and I was like, well, either this is a terrible area, but there's no people here and started picking up deer and had a great hunt, great experience and got a good buck. So those are the kind of benefits that we're looking for. Just using your head a little bit, but also not being afraid to hunt hard. And we talked about couple podcasts back if you missed it hole hunting where you you do a lot of the work where it's almost that uphill both ways and this is a really good tactic in this front country type stuff day hunting type stuff where you have to put in a little extra leg work working a little harder than the next guy isn't just reserved for the back country right sometimes going into the back country you don't even have to work as hard sometimes when you're day hunting you can cover a lot of ground and maybe that just means yeah I'm, I'm physically able to cover a lot of ground so I'm going to check a lot of different pockets on foot I'm going to hunt a lot of different areas on foot maybe there's a road that you know you could drive with a ATV or a trail that you could drive with an ATV but you decide to hike it out to be 100% honest the bull that I killed last year the trail that I used to access it I could have got a lot closer on a ATV I didn't have an ATV and I wouldn't have used it if I did because I was getting into elk and I was able to hear bugles and other things just being away from vehicle. And I was hiking right along that trail for a lot of the morning. So there is just that being the person that wants to hunt a little bit harder while other people are maybe driving around or whatever, you're out there and you're actively hunting. And that makes a big difference. Being that person that's willing to put in a little extra work and then use a little extra bit of you know, hunting smarts, kind of outwitting the crowds, if you will, and, and doing things a little bit different. Not It's not always that there's crowds or whatever, but just kind of planning your hunt based off of what's going to be the best for success. And so that's one of the tactics that I look at when I'm thinking about day hunting, type hunting. Now we're going to cover where to look. And, you know, when you think about it, it's we're going to talk about, of course, you know, Animals that you're hunting need habitat. They need food, they need water, they need cover. That's what creates habitat. That's where they live, that's their home. And generally, you know, the animals, if you're looking at an area, every area is different. There's so many different types of units that you can hunt, right? There's areas where there might be very few roads and a few trailheads and access points and then majority roadless throughout the middle of it. There's other units that are just chock full of roads. 
And so in those places, we're going to look for places between the roads where there's no roads going through a pocket, a place that has everything that the animals need, but maybe just doesn't get the same amount of traffic. And those are going to be the places that we're going to key in on. We can look at those e-scouting. You can often find those, you know, those are the kind of primary ways that I identify those places. And then when I'm in the unit, I might just kind of, if, especially if we're talking a place that you've never been before, we're going to then kind of pinpoint that and then check it out and, and investigate it when we get into the area. And by doing this, I've found a lot of success. Now, another big thing to think about, and this is, I mean, when I first started hunting, this wasn't as popular of a tactic, but I think now because there's so many products out there, we'll just call it like, I mean, online mapping software that shows you unit boundaries, it shows you private and public land access. This has kind of changed the game and, and really helped a lot of people navigate this kind of place. Because when I was growing up, it was just a lot easier to just go to a forest service trailhead and hike in right? Because you knew without a shadow of a doubt, you were where you were supposed to be. And there was a lot of like, it was pretty difficult back in the day to really tell where property lines were and where you were. And it just, it wasn't worth the hassle. But there is a big advantage to, there are a lot of animals where people work the land and we can't discount that, right? Private property holds animals because it often gets less hunting pressure than public ground so there's areas that hold animals that the public there's like corridors between the public and the private or areas where they might not have everything that they need on the private so they have to go off onto the public to say bed so they're feeding down an ag in the mornings and then bedding up in the forest service or blm or state land in the daytime and this happens everywhere and in those areas that have that where there's things that people have used through ranching, through agriculture, some kind of development that benefits the game animal that might not otherwise be provided, it attracts animals. And maybe that might even just be seclusion from hunting pressure. So these are areas that we can also key in on. And when you're using your mapping software, areas that you can really pinpoint access points, maybe find like, oh, here's, I've done this so many times where I don't even know where to start, but I'm like, well, I bet you there's some like, oh, here's a bunch of pivot fields out in the flats. I bet that there's some kind of animals there. Now, here, here's some access points around that. And then I try to find those places that are a little bit harder to get into, right? I've killed many elk. Well, I drew a tag in a place that I never hunted before. I found a section of field that looked promising and was very difficult to get into. I had to hike over a mountain and drop down the other side. But I knew that, I mean, I when I first got into the unit, I scouted, I saw that there was elk in there and I figured that there wasn't much cover and they were going to go bed up in the mountains. And I just did the big hike. Right. And it paid off and I shot a nice five by six bull. And I, I was well into public land, but I used that to kind of narrow down places to look. Another thing outside of crops to think about, or, you know, fields and private land is that in a lot of this accessible country, there is a benefit to, other things as far as ranching goes, and one of them is water sources, especially if you're talking about the Southwest. You know, there's a lot of areas that in the arid Southwest that would not have water sources if it weren't for some kind of human development, some kind of water tank or system, maybe even a guzzler for built for wildlife. But these things are generally around places where people can get to. And by adding those, that adds essentially needed habitat for wildlife. 
Now, a lot of stock might use it as well, but there are the ones that stock aren't using or there's ones that are multiple uses from stock and from wildlife. So those are something to think about as well. I know uh, there was a tag that I had in Nevada and it was like, it's, it was an arid unit. It wasn't a real, uh, it was a pretty dry year and a lot of the natural springs had gone dry. So I started to focus my attention to, you know, troughs for cattle and other things that I knew would hold water that were being maintained that were on public ground. And there's a lot of those on BLM where ranchers have uh, lease, uh, grazing leases and other things. These are things that all benefit uh, wildlife habitat and are places that you can utilize in your hunt if you're paying attention to it. So I just pulled up for that particular hunt. I just started pulling up satellite imagery. And sometimes you can, you can see the dates when it was and look for a summer date. And they started finding water sources that look like tanks and other things just through satellite imagery. Some of them were marked on the map and actually a lot of them weren't. And then, you know, pinpointing those spots and then going into there and sure enough, start turning up animals. So that's just another way to think about the benefit of this day hunting is you can access a lot of things that maybe are benefits for wildlife that might not be in those further backcountry locations. Or you can check a lot of these different areas if where you're hunting doesn't have exactly what you're looking for so by being mobile by you know looking at some of the things that ways that wildlife maybe might benefit from some of the things you know that humans have done agriculture water sources other things and then just being flexible and being able to hike in cover a lot of country and carry more hunting specific gear you put yourself in a good category for success now when it comes to that lighter weight and exchanging for optics. I really believe that a lot of hunting success, personally for me, comes from the ability to glass and glass well. And glassing well also means being comfortable, having the right optics for the right ranges that you're looking for, and really being able to kind of pick the landscape apart. What I find myself doing a lot more often now is when I'm on a day hunt as opposed to packing into the backcountry, a lot of times I leave a little bit of that optics gear because of the like exchange of weight like we talked about last week. So if I'm in an area that I'm day hunting, I've, oh, I've probably got a just as heavy pack, but it's specifically for finding animals. And that probably will include high power binoculars, a, a good tripod, and then a spotting scope. Now, which kind of spotting scope depends on what I'm hunting, right? Or the type of terrain that I'm hunting. But if it's big open country, then I generally have a, a bigger spotting scope and a bigger set of binoculars, like a pair of 15s or 18s that I can run on the tripod, sit there and just cover country. And that's really specific, especially to mule deer hunting or in an area where maybe I'm, I'm sheep hunting, especially like desert sheep hunting. Uh, when I go with somebody that's got a tag for desert sheep, we just like loaded down with optics because it's a real optics intensive hunt. But another thing that I'll do, if, if I'm in an area where I'm looking for a certain type of animal. Maybe it's a mule deer of a certain size or age class. Maybe I'm like, I want a 170 inch buck or better. And it's a good trophy draw tag. And I really want to look around and be picky. There's a lot of hunts where I do that, where I'm just like, I'm looking for a specific animal. Now on, on tags where it's like, I'm just looking for a, a general elk tag and I'm just looking for any bull to fill the freezer. I maybe don't need as much optic, but in areas where maybe you've drawn a once-in-a-lifetime tag, you really want to put some time behind the glass and look over a lot of country and a lot of animals because the more country you cover, 
whether it's with your feet, whether it's with your eyes, whether it's being mobile and finding various glassing vantages throughout the unit where you can really get a good lay of the land and decide this is the area that's holding the most animals. This is where I'm gonna really spend the majority of my focus. By just covering country, you're able to really account for what's in that area a lot better than if you're locked into a singular spot. Now, I say this to say, this is a style of hunting and there's a lot of different types of hunting. For me personally, you can't beat a backcountry hunting experience. And that backcountry hunting experience is one of my favorite ways to hunt. And one of my, when I think about past hunts, some of my best hunts have been that way. But then I also tally up the hunts where it's been more of a day hunt. And a lot of those day hunts, I've actually worked a lot harder than I have in the backcountry units. Maybe it's harder to get away from people, maybe not seeing as many animals, or maybe I'm just putting a lot more time hiking and covering country. Whatever it is, both hunts definitely have their merit. And by being really versed in both styles, you really open yourself up to a lot more opportunity. I also think that there's a good space for a combination of these two hunting styles where you're hunting the front country, but also ready to jump into the back country. And that's probably when I think about a lot of my hunts, what I do, especially when I'm going into new areas, I might base out of my truck, but I'm ready to, to rock back and go into a two night, three night, four night overstay into an area and, and check that out and then pop back out and maybe go hit another area or, or day hunt from there if I'm not successful. So being really flexible, having the options and really understanding the benefits of both styles of hunting is going to make you a more versed hunter and more successful in the long run. Well, I hope you guys can glean something from those tips this week. I think that just being a very versatile hunter and being flexible is a lot of what comes into being a successful hunter as well and having a lot of different styles that you can do and understanding like being ready kind of for any situation. I think that that is kind of the best way to be. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to just look at a little bit of the gear and how kind of my gear thought process is and some of the things that I might take on a hunt like this where I can base out of a vehicle, but maybe even then I'm, I'm going to spike out for a few days or come back and, and be real flexible. How my gear kind of shifts from a backcountry hunt to more of day hunting and the things that I take and maybe some of the things that you might not think about taking that will help you out and find a little bit more success. Just being a little more prepared and, and saying, okay, this is going to give me a little bit of an up on the next guy who's, who's doing the same thing. Because in these day hunting situations, there's often more competition with hunters, I would say. But there are a few pieces of gear and styles that I use for hunting that kind of give me a little bit of an advantage. And we're going to go into that next week. Now, with speaking about gear, I also noticed uh, Stone Glacier, a really great supporter of this podcast and one of the companies that I just am absolutely a fanatic of their gear. They've got their tents back in stock. I know a lot of people were asking about shelters and stuff after last week's podcast. And I actually just saw in my email, if you guys get their email newsletters, it's really good when, when, new, pro- well, when new products pop up, but also when stuff is out of stock. The way they make their stuff is they make some very high quality gear and then that gear gets bought up and then it takes a little while for them to replenish the stock house. So tents are back in stock if you're looking for that. You can always use code LIVEWILD and you'll get free shipping. Uh, just kind of a couple of my favorites. So, you know, we've talked about backcountry, we've talked about front country. There's a lot of different options. If you're a guy that wants to go light and fast, the Sky Air ULT tent, that's like a lightweight tarp style tent. 
Use your trekking poles really good for early season hunts going light and fast. And this could be even a really good one if you're like, you've got your base camp set up, you're camping out your vehicle, but hey, I'm going to go spike out for a couple days on a solo mission. That's a really good option. And then the uh, Sky Solus one person, that's a real lightweight one person tent. But I would say it's a an oversized one person tent. I actually hunted for, I think, 20 days out of it, British Columbia on a sheep hunt and just loved it. Encountered a lot of different types of weather, kind of a little bit of everything. And that's kind of my go-to when I'm by myself or if I'm just actually not by myself, just even if I'm with other people, but I'm carrying all my own tent, not going to share a tent. Uh, I really like that. And then just kind of a rundown of, I would say like the flagship, if you just don't know what kind and you might be hunting multiple seasons, late season. I mean, this is still like, I would say the industry standard for a good late season backcountry tent, but you can use it anywhere because it's got a lot of good room in it. Skyscraper two person. It's light enough to carry. I mean, I've carried it on a lot of hunts, like more than I can count by myself. And it's a, I, I love it and love the extra room. I remember on a backcountry hunt I did with a bunch of friends. We were in New Zealand hunting tar and uh, I had that tent and I was just raving about this tent. Everyone else has their other tents. And so we get into our spot and I set it up and I've got like way more headroom. And it was just one of those really wet, miserable hunts. I was the only person that stayed dry. I had room to like spread out when we were just hunkered down in the tent for a little bit. Plus I could dry my gear out and other things. It was extremely comfortable, extremely durable. I mean, I've been in like massive windstorms in Kodiak and the thing. And uh, I just, I, I really enjoy that tent, especially for the weight of it. Uh, it can't be beat. So all those tents are back in stock right now. If you're interested in them for the season, I would say get them now because they often run out right before. So if you're going to be the guy that procrastinates, you might not be able to pick one up. So that's just something to think about. I'm going to say until next week. Oh, I I should like plan out a good awkward goodbye, but then it won't be so awkward. Until next week, keep fronting. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why. I like it. All right. See you guys.